Welcome to Backroom Talk. Well, guys, welcome to another episode of Backroom Talk. I'm Georgia, here with Carl, and we're going to be talking about strength today. We have to look at where they are in their journey of strength, and, uh, you know, are they day one, or are they day 4,000? Well, let's move on to the number two reason that okay. people uh, see plateaus in strength, and for us, that's not honoring physiology. I and mean, it's not because the program was bad, it's just that the program was bad for them. To listen to more Backroom Talk, be sure to subscribe. Learn to design personalized programs with the OPEX system of coaching by heading to opexfit.com. Well guys, welcome to another episode of Backroom Talk. I'm Georgia, here with Carl, and we're going to be talking about strength today. Yes, strength. And busting plateaus. Busting plateaus. <laughs> This is coming off the back of a webinar uh, that we hosted on the topic of strength training. Uh, so there's going to be some crossover with the content. If you guys were on that webinar, you may have had a little bit of this conversation, but not all of it because uh, this is like more to... casual, right? Yeah. yeah, we're just we're just uh, in the back room having a back room conversation. I was going to say a backroom talk, but it didn't work. Well, we get to be a little more loose flying up by the seat of our pants, have a little more fun on the podcast than we do on the uh, on our very professional webinars. I know, right? We're really buttoned up. We put on our OPEX uh, suits, <laughs> suits and ties for, for <laughs> webinars, but podcast is chill. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to wear a tuxedo on that one. Love it. I'm go tux. Very good. Very nice. Me and Jacob were talking about doing a not casual Friday. So we, cause you know how we like, yep. he'll wear like khakis or mm -hmm. something or like jean shorts or something like that. I was like, what are you doing, man? Like, why aren't you wearing Lululemon shorts? We're going to take that to the next level where we're, we're going to come in with, uh, tuxedos. I like that. It's one of the problems of working in fitness, whether you're like working for an education company like us, or you're a coach, you never have the opportunity to like dress up. Right, you live in yoga I pants. I don't think that's a problem. I, I love it too. I don't yeah, think I yeah. could ever like go oh, to God. the corporate world now. Yeah, if I had to dress a certain way, I would. I just wouldn't. I wouldn't conform. But it's. I think it's. Uh, it's moving away from that now. Like because tech tech companies are taking over, right? Yeah. So it's like t-shirts and hoodies. Yeah, it's just, just come in casual, do your thing behind the computer, and that's it. Yeah, I mean the remote uh, push last year. Where everyone got to wear pajamas for a year. I feel like uh, no pants. that pushed it in that direction. Have you ever done too. it? Did you ever do like the no pants? I didn't do the call. no pants on a call. I did like pajama bottoms on a call, but yeah. not no pants. I don't often wear no pants around <laughs> my house, to be honest. Like, there's normally some kind of pant on. Okay. Um, we'll leave it but there. But each to, each to their own. <laughs> if you have stories, you, did you ever go no pants on a call? No. God, I have children. Oh. I'm not walking around like. <laughs> Yeah, you, you know what I was going to say. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get back to the topic of conversation for today, which is strength. Specifically, four reasons that people often plateau uh, in their strength progression. And then we're going to offer up some solutions to actually be able to address them uh, before we get to the episode. Guys, as always, take a second. Leave us a review. That stuff like really means a lot. Uh, and it's massively beneficial for us to be able to keep putting out good content. So if you're on podcast, uh, leave a review on the app. If you're on YouTube... A little like and a subscribe never hurt. So uh, go ahead and do those things too, please. All yes, right. What she said. What I said. What she said. So let's let's dig into it. Yeah. Uh, so building strength. Uh, number one problem, not like the most important problem, but in the order of operations for our reasons. That I actually people think this plateau. is the number one problem. It, pr it probably is right because yeah, it's most for pe most people. They're entering yeah. strength, right? It's mm -hmm. uh, they're not ready to be strong yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think. You know, we have to look at where someone is in their journey of becoming strong. And, and 
for context, I think we roll through this conversation today with uh, thinking, you know, this person or this avatar, their goal is to be as strong as possible. Yep. Um, so with that being said, uh, we have to look at where they are in their journey of strength. And, uh, you know, are they day one or are they day 4,000, right? Because there's some some differences between those and, and uh, what they can actually express on day one versus day 4,000. So, yeah, I think we have to look into where they're at in their in their life cycle. Walk us through a little bit what that life cycle means. So someone day one versus, you know, day 500 versus day 2,000. What are some of the variations uh, in what that person is able to do in strength work? Yeah, gosh. So we'd have to put resistance training, like strength work is a part of resistance training, right? So everything is a part of resistance training, like hypertrophy, strength, um, you know, everything sits inside of just doing resistance. So with that being said, it's like strength has its, it, it has its time, right? Where it needs to, let's just call it, call it like shine or be the priority, but when someone comes in day one, it's like, you have to learn how to move. It's all about learning movements. Um, and you can, you know, let's just say the bench squat and the deadlift, just because it's just like classic in most people's heads. But I think we should expand outside of that in this conversation. But let's say it is just the bench squat and deadlift. It's like, there's people need to learn how to do those, those movements instead of coming in and doing, you know, a program that they found online that says, you know, they're going to put, you know, 50 pounds on each one of those lifts in six months, uh, which can be done. Uh, but day one, the person should, should think about, Hey, I need to master these movements. I need to master these patterns inside of these movements. And if you are in a rush, right, if you're in a rush and you do put on 50 pounds in six months, which is absolutely doable for a beginner, what's being left behind in that pursuit? Because if the only, if the only goal in that six months is load, 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 load. And it's not, you know, I want to master the movement. That person's potential to be as strong as possible three years from them, their starting date is a lot lower than if they were to come in and say, Hey, I want to master these movements. I want to feel contractions. I want to understand patterning. I want to, you know, be able to come in and effectively move this relatively heavy load. Um, so day one, you, you need to think about, you know, day one through day 1000 needs to be mastering the movements and the movement patterns. I think that is where both clients, um, so people wanting to get strong and then coaches as well, get a little bit confused uh, in that you can throw this templated strength progression at a novice lifter and have them bench squat dead five by five or five, three, one, or whatever it might be. And they'll put on, put 50 pounds on their lifts in that six month period and have great success. And they're like, okay, this worked. Why wouldn't it work again? You know, you do something once it works for you, you think it's going to work again. And that's where they get frustrated is when that doesn't work again. For some people, they lift for six months and then they're kind of out and uh, you hear those success stories. And I think that's where coaches and clients get caught up, getting confused, thinking that like, you know, this strength programming has to look like this. Someone has to be doing, you know, this like typical classic strength program because they see those results, but they don't see six years down the track. Mm -hmm. We never hear about what that person is doing six years from now. They probably moved on to like another hobby. Uh, you yeah. know, they're probably not lifting weights anymore. Yeah. I mean, just talking about the day one person, it's so important to understand what is their goal? You know what I mean? Like not everyone's goal is to bench squat and deadlift as much weight as possible. Uh, most people's goal is not to bench squat and deadlift as much weight as possible. So 
there has to be there has to be a connection to the long term in that in that uh that initial starting point so i think everyone needs to master movement right like if someone wants to go into the gym and want and they want to be in there for any amount of time and they want to do resistance training step one for anyone is to master movement patterns no matter what their goal is so that's you know someone that's like hey i just want to move to be healthy and fit and you know have some fun with resistance um you know they need to master movement patterns someone that comes in they're like I want to, you know, compete in the USPL in 10 years and I want to squat as much as I possibly can when I'm 35 years old. That person needs to also master the the squat pattern. Um, so their starting points will look very similar, but where they're going uh, from that starting point needs to be identified or it, there needs to be a conversation that happens because there's a lot of people that come in and they do say, oh, I just want to move to be healthy and they get, they like fall in love with the iron and like putting on weight and they feel really good putting weight on the bar and they feel really good. And there's like, something's just like lit up inside of them. They're like, I, I love this. And that person might actually turn into the person that's like, oh man, I want to squat bench and deadlift as much as I possibly can. And you saw that a lot in like CrossFit gyms, right? With weightlifting where people are like, oh, I'm just coming in to lose some weight. And they do like some variations of a snatch and clean. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is the most challenging thing I've ever done. And then you have that, the gyms that have like the barbell clubs and like that starts to get more popular than the, the CrossFit side because people just fell in love with lifting um, and, the, and the snatch and, and the clean. So I think people's goals can pivot or the person that comes in and they say, I want to bench squat and deadlift as much as I possibly can in 10 years. They could fall in love with the process and just be like, gosh, I don't want any pressure attached to this. I just really love coming in and, and training, right? I love, you know, feeling uh, the results of doing a bunch of really good resistance training. And they could actually flip and turn into the person that's like, no, 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 I don't really want to bench squat and deadlift as much as I can. I just want to do this uh, for longevity purposes. Well, the great thing about that is you give someone the opportunity <clears throat> to discover that rather than cramming them into this like very specific, we're following this program with these very specific performance goals are connected to getting stronger you start them off where everyone needs to begin which is developing efficiency and movement patterns and they have years to figure out what do i actually enjoy what do i want out of my fitness do i just enjoy the process do i actually want to go and compete in some kind of uh, weightlifting or powerlifting competition you give people the opportunity to do that by having experiences in fitness first because i don't think any of us actually know what we want from fitness when we enter it initially, yeah. um, especially when it comes to performance goals, right? Like mm -hmm. you hear a person like, I want to increase my back squat. I want to run a marathon. It's because they've seen someone else do those things and they've decided that that's going to be the thing that gets them to their ideal version of fitness. But the reality is that that looks different for everyone and they might get, you know, six months in and realize that's not the goal anymore. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you give people freedom to be able to explore when you start by developing patterns uh, and efficiency. And one other, I guess, really important takeaway from what you said there, Carl, is that it's not just the goal that dictates the program. We have to think about where that person is starting from and their capabilities as well. And I think that most clients have a very goal-centric idea around what a program should be, i.e. this program has to be connected directly to my goal and coaches as well as they're starting, you know, to try and figure out program design. So making sure people understand there are many factors that go into deciding the right program for someone, including, you know, past experiences in fitness. Yeah. To make it easy to, sorry, answer your first question of like the, you know, day one versus day 400 versus day 4,000. I think we could just set up like a very easy, you know, 
typical volume and intensity curve, right? Where it's like, you know, day one, volume is here, right? Intensity is here. Day 400, volume actually doesn't do this while intensity does this. They almost do that, right? And then we get to like day 4,000 and now we're like, you know, we're hitting, you know, true maximum potential, one rep maxes and all of that volume starts to dip down and then intensity takes a very sharp turn upward. So I don't know if, if you're watching, you kind of saw that, but if you could just imagine that in your head, day one, uh, volume is high, intensity is low, day 400, volume increases, right? Because you're doing more work while intensity increases. And then you'll start to see that intersection where we typically see on that volume and intensity curve. How do we know when someone is ready to see that volume intensity intersection where they're ready to start dropping volume and start like increasing intensity, which is what we'd associate with typical strength training. Yeah. I think you got to feel that out, right? Like, you know, I don't know if we could, what, what was the, the last download that we put out? Was that the, the strength one or two downloads ago? That was the, did, did we have a strength life cycle? We, we did. Yeah. The strength life cycle was in that. We can drop that in the uh, yeah. notes for people to download and check out. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't want to like jump the gun and tell people to download something we didn't have available, We do. but yeah, download that and just take a look at it. And there's like some, it's a framework, right? It's like, you know, day one, you're here day 4,000, you're there. But, um, even inside of that, you still got to feel it out, right? Like, the best way, in my opinion, to understand if someone's ready for it is you got to give it to them and see how they respond to it. Yeah. Um, but you have to work inside of a framework. That doesn't mean give someone something on day one and see if they respond. It's like follow that framework and, you know, use your best judgment, right? Like they get to day 300 instead of 400. And it's like you think they're ready for, you know, more intensity and more volume. Let's just call it more tonnage in their training program. Give it to them and see if they respond well to it. And what does responding well mean? Responding well means that they're getting better week over week in terms of the amount of load that they can lift. It means that they're recovering cycle over cycle and they're seeing they're seeing gains, let's call it, right? They're not getting injured. They're not hitting a heavy squat session on Monday and not recovering to the following Tuesday, right? Like little things like that. We can just give those to people and just see if they respond well to them. And to, I guess, directly link to this example of the person who's not ready to be strong, the classic thing that you might see with that client when you put them underneath the barbell and ask them to, you know, hit a heavy three or whatever it might be, um, is number one, that load is just like very low. And you Mm -hmm. as a coach can objectively look at that and say like, that is not heavy for that person. It is heavy for them today, but it is not an absolutely heavy load. Yep. But number two, seeing that they're just unable to organize movement in the pattern. And what's happening is that like movement is actually breaking down. It's not that they're unable to like really dig in and like overcome that load. They just like can't figure out what their elbows need to be doing Mm -hmm. when they bench press. They don't know how to, you know, engage their glutes. So the actual movement is what is limiting them versus like that ability to overcome that external load. Yeah. And as a coach, it's like you have to use discretion, right? Something that comes to mind is when I used to work with high school kids, Um, you know, there was this one kid, he was probably 16 or 17 years old. And this kid could squat, like, we never won our MDM, but I'm sure he was over like 475, 480. um, And a one rep max squat, because I saw how he moved 395, 405. And something we did with that kid, we're like, gosh, he is really strong, but he's not ready to be strong, right? He was still growing. 
Um, he had dealt with some injuries. That's actually why he came to us. He dealt with a bunch of injuries because he's like one of those, he was one of those like go-getter kids that was just like always trying to get better. So it was like, we had to hold that kid back because we made the judgment call of like, this kid isn't ready to be strong yet. And we can make him really weight room strong and high five, but we're probably not setting him up for best successes on the field. Right. So that was one kid where it was like, and he would get upset, right? He, he really wanted to, you know, balls to the wall like hey i want to try to back squat 500 pounds and it's like hey man you don't really need to back squat 500 pounds right um his movement quality was okay it wasn't great uh we could have kind of pushed it over the edge a little bit to put a couple more pounds on but it was clear that he wasn't ready to move that load because it was just like it was it was it was just a subjective thing you see the kid move and you're like let's just back it up there i think we're okay like you're not you know your your squat one rep max or lack thereof is not holding you back from being a better football player, right? So, you know, in strength conditioning and uh, a lot of coaches that coach people in the weight room, we're so attached to what happens in the weight room and we forget how that connects to other things, right? So that's very, you know, one specific example of, you know, sport carryover. But we could also look at a kid like CJ Cummings. Um, I remember when he was in Buford, South Carolina, his coach was like renowned for holding that kid back because he was that kid, but like times two. This kid was squatting like over 500 pounds. They never one rep max cleaned him, but he was cleaning like 400. And this kid was like 16 or 17 years old. Do you know who CJ Cummings is? Um, And his coach was like, he's never hit a one rep max. And it was crazy to hear. It's like, what do you mean? He's competing in Olympic weightlifting. And his coach is just like, he's just not ready yet. He's not ready. He's strong enough to go and win without actually digging in. Uh, there's still some work to be done with this kid. And now you see what the kid's doing. Not, I mean, it's not a kid anymore, but you see what he's doing. And uh, I don't know what the kid, they're the guy's maximum potential is, but I think it was a right call at 16 and 17 to hold him back a little bit so he can kind of ride that wave of, you know, volume, volume, volume decrease intensity boom now now go and and peak when you're 24 25 years old for the olympics um so just you know very uh, two different examples but there's some synergies in like you know a coach subjectively saying you're just not ready to be strong yet yeah it uh takes a lot of trust on the part of the client to accept that sometimes yeah right you got to have a good relationship with that person to hear you're not ready to do that and to accept that and be okay with it and be like, okay, but in eight years, I'm going to be ready to do that. Yeah, you just got to tell them why, right? Like, yeah. I think there's some trust built there um, because as a strength coach or just a, a coach in general, you want your people to succeed between in, inside of your four walls, right? So for you to say, hey, you know, I know you could do more. I'm going to hold you back for your best interest. That's actually putting your best interest aside because a coach's best interest is to say boom here we go i'm going to post this on instagram my my athlete my client just hit a 600 pound back squat but that coach is in the background they're like actually i don't really give a shit about that i care about this individual's best interest and what's best for them so just having that conversation with them i think uh will pay huge dividends obviously there's going to be people that aren't going to be on board with that but um as a coach you have to have your uh you have to have your limits and it's like are you going to let your client dictate the program or not? For sure. As a coach, you've got to understand the principles of the strength life cycle first, though, to be able to communicate that to people. And I do think it's a good opportunity with the right client who 
maybe is pushing back a little bit or wants to understand the why behind it, sit down with them with that infographic and like actually walk them through, mm-hmm. like print that thing out or open it up on your phone, whatever. Don't print it out. That's <laughs> no one prints things anymore, do they? <laughs> but open it up on your iPad and like walk them through what their progression over the next 50 years is going to mm-hmm. look like. Cause that's an exciting thing to see that laid out. I just think most, most coaches aren't really equipped to understand what that looks like in the true long term. Yeah. And most clients have never considered it before. Yeah. Um, I know we've been on this one for a while, but I think it's important. Um, you could do tens with a client, like tens, like, you know, three sets of 10, five sets of 10, four sets of 10, whatever that is. You could do tens with someone for a really long period of time and that that person could still see a lot of, of results, right? And a lot of strength gains. Um, if, if you have a client that's getting really strong off of tens, that tells you that they're not ready to get strong off of fives yet. If that makes sense, For right? Sure. It's like keep giving them volume because there's some learning that's a, that's happening there. There's something that's happening at a um, neurological level that's happening there that's actually making them stronger. And you don't need more intensity to do that. So tap that thing out before you go down to the fives. Tap the fives out before you go down to the ones, twos, and threes. I think I know that's like way oversimplified, but uh, sometimes I think it's it's good to be oversimplified. It's just like. We're going to give you tens for a couple of years. For sure. We'll vary up exercises and tempos and all that stuff, but we're just going to stick with tens. Because the sad thing is once you move past that, sometimes you lose the opportunity to go back to it, you know, and you limit someone's potential and they never, you know, hit that number that they wanted to hit because you were in a rush for them to get better. Yeah. Be patient. Gosh. Yeah. Hopefully we all have a lot of time. Um, Most people have a lot of time. So I think people just need to be patient and that strength life cycle and that framework uh, gives us something to refer back to and like check us, right? Where it's like, ah, gosh, no, maybe I don't need to do singles yet. I'm only in month 13 of this thing. For sure. Well, let's move on to the number two reason that okay. people uh, see plateaus in strength. And for us, that's not honoring physiology. Oh, maybe this is number one. I'm going to say this to everyone. Maybe this is number <laughs> one. <laughs> Which one's most important? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, tell us tell us what this means, Carl, yeah, so, and uh, how you do honor physiology. Yeah, I think this is, uh, you know, how do we recover, right? Um, strength is so recovery-based. Yep. Um, and I know we've talked about this before, but we get confused sometimes. Um, we We think that everything, we think that doing more is always better. And it is in some aspects, right? Like growing muscle tissue, doing more is almost always better um, because it, you have to adapt to that muscle tissue um, trauma. With strength, it's the complete opposite, right? Doing, like if the goal is to be as strong as possible, you wanna get away with doing as little as possible while still seeing those strength gains and strength adaptations. Um, and a lot of people fall into the, uh, I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm kind of jumping in the next one, so I, I'll, I'll leave this to, okay. to lifestyle. Um, so recovery is really important. So what we do in the gym obviously is going to influence, like if we're doing a good program, right, that we can recover from, that's going to influence what we need to do or not do uh, outside of the gym to recover from that work. So recovery is so, so important. So when we think about recovery, it's like what do we do outside of the gym that that can lead to better levels of recovery, right? It's like, you know, we call it like, you know, pacing or aerobic work and uh, just moving blood. Um, so yeah, blood movement outside of the outside of the gym is super important to recover, uh, especially from a strength uh, adaptation perspective. 
So that doesn't mean being in the gym and doing assault bike intervals and row intervals and stuff like that. That just means like, hey, get outside, right? It's like two birds with one stone. Another thing that we would talk about is just get a lot of sun, right? Um, get outside, get some sunshine on your skin, move. It's like go for walks, right? Um, drink enough water, get enough sleep, right? I think everyone knows that you need to get sleep to recover and adapt from the work that you did prior and the, the work that you're going to do uh, tomorrow. Um, so yeah, just the lifestyle factors are really important. For sure. And just to, I guess, clarify a little bit on the physiology side, because when someone's training hypertrophy, right, they the idea is you're doing more because you're trying to break down and then repair and grow muscle tissue. On the strength side, what is happening and what are we actually like recovering from? Are we going to move to doing too much? Uh, I guess they do kind of overlap. We can, we yeah, can. Yeah, let's just, let's hit these two together, right? So this good. is just like, let's just say honoring physiology is we're talking about recovery and we're talking about the amount of work that you're doing in the gym. So yep. the work you're doing outside of the gym and the work that you're doing in the gym. So to your, to your question, um, sorry, what was your question? The difference between strength and hypertrophy yeah. and what's happening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So strength, um, there's, it, first we have to be really clear, right? Do higher amounts of muscle tissue, can those directly lead to increased strength? Yes, they can. Right. So, you know, that's why, you know, in block periodization, that's why there's a hypertrophy phase and there's a strength phase and then there's another hypertrophy phase, right? So those things do marry well together. But when we get to the intensification phase or the strength building phase, we have to lose everything that we're thinking that we need to do or that we did in that hypertrophy phase. And I know a lot of people feel this way. They'll come to the gym and they're like hitting triples in the back squat. They're hitting like six sets of three with three to eight minutes rest between each triple. And then they might do some hamstring curls and some leg extensions. And then they're out and they're like, ah, oh, do I need to like cash out? Do I need to do a drop set? Do I need to do, right? It's What's like, the finisher coach. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Cause it's like, mm -hmm. they're thinking in that they're thinking in that, like, I need to do more. I need to wreck muscle tissue. That is not the case when we're talking about getting stronger. So getting stronger is literally you go into the gym, you move 300 pounds. It feels really heavy. You're like, okay, move that for my eight sets of three or my six sets of three. I recovered. I'm coming back four days later, and now I want to move 310 pounds, and I want it to feel the same, mm -hmm. right? I don't want it to feel easier because that tells me that the 300 I didn't really like dig in. Uh, I want it to feel the same. Right. And then I'm coming back and I'm doing 310, 315, and I want it to feel the same. Right. That's someone that's getting stronger. Right. So let's just call it like RPE. Their RPE is exactly the same each one of those weeks, but they're just adapting to it. When they pull the, the barbell out of the rack and they come back, they're like, huh, yeah, this doesn't feel too bad. Right. I know we've all been in the situation where we've pulled the barbell out of the rack and we're like, oh my God. That person's how am not I, recovered. How am I going to go <laughs> mm -hmm. down and up with this barbell, right? That's that's the person that's doing like uh, fucking drop sets and cash outs, yeah. uh, you know, four days earlier before they're coming back to do that same session. So when we start talking about adaptation, we're not growing muscle tissue. So we don't have to annihilate muscle tissue in strength training. In strength training, it's, it's a, let's just call it a CNS adaptation. Uh, it's a neurological adaptation. We just want our body to be recovered enough to have the oomph to get out of the bottom of a squat, to pull on a deadlift, right? Those little things. So they're just different. 
Are the recovery practices for someone that is engaged in like that volume, volume, volume work different to the recovery practices from someone who's doing like strength max contraction work? No, they're the same. Yeah, Yeah. they're the same. Uh, It's just less important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's less important when you're doing volume, 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 right? It's like you don't really give a shit how the barbell feels when you step it out when Mm -hmm. you're doing 60% of your one rep max for 15 reps. All you care about is do I feel the blood in my VMO? And you know what I mean? Like, do I feel the the muscle tissue being destroyed, essentially, in hypertrophy training? Uh, it doesn't really matter, right? Uh, because that 60% isn't going to feel like 120% for that person. So the hypertrophy individual can come in day over day over day, less recovered. Not they can. They usually do. That's the whole point of an accumulation phase, right? Like you're adapting to a lot of work being stacked on top of each other. That's not to say that you should be fucking off and have terrible recovery practices. No, it's not that. Your recovery practices should still be solid, just as solid as they would be in a strength phase. Um, It's just the recovery that is allowed to occur between those sessions is a lot greater in a strength session, and it's less important in an accumulation or uh, hypertrophy cycle. So, and I guess we kind of let these uh, two pieces bleed in together, the not honoring physiology as a problem and then the doing too much as a problem. Ultimately, they're going to present in a similar way, i.e. that person's going to put that bar on their back. They're going to step one, two, set off the rack and they're going to be like, fuck this, I can't lift this weight because they're either doing too much or they're not recovering appropriately. How do you figure out which like camp you fall into? Um, the, ask that one more time. Uh, the camp in terms of is the recovery the issue or are you doing too much in training oh gotcha gotcha um gosh i don't think that's like a physical feeling because those things would those things would present the same yeah yeah that's what i'm saying it's going to feel the same for that person so how do they how do they look at nudging me into the next point i've forgotten what what our next point is that's (laughs) what i would say very true yeah that's yeah. How, that's what i would say you have to look at the program yeah so doing the wrong program that's uh, yeah. point number four yeah it's like you know what are your experiences in doing a program like this before um because the only way because when we start talking about individualization um <laughs> it is so n equals one mm-hmm. right um if someone did a let's say someone has been training uh i'm not even going to use the name i'll use the name in a second and then this will connect let's say someone was squatting four times a week, five times a week. Um, they were doing an unbelievable amount of volume on Monday. On Wednesday, they were doing an unbelievable amount of intensity. On Thursday, they were doing an unbelievable amount of volume. On Saturday, they are doing an unbelievable amount of intensity, right? Like, let's say someone trained like that mm-hmm. and they, like, have adaptations. They feel good. They're recovering well. Everything's fine. And you give that person a Smoloff program, squat program, that person might be okay because mm-hmm. right? they've always trained like that, mm-hmm. right? Um, so when we start looking at the individual and what their previous experiences are, what's worked for them, what hasn't, that's worked for them. So you throw a program like that to them and they're like, this is fine. My volume actually went down. down. Like I'm losing gains here, right? Then you have someone that trains quote unquote smart, right? And they squat twice a week, right? One One of those squat sessions, they're hitting like some fairly tough like – eight RPE doubles and triples the other squat session they're doing like varied squat pattern exercises where they're just getting in a lot of volume right so they might be doing like leg extensions and uh, cyclist squats just like speed back squats whatever that is and that's how that person always trains right they have like what we call like a max effort day and then they have like a hypertrophy or a speed day in the squat 
and they've done that for a decade. You give that person the Smoloff program, how do you think they're going to respond? Trashed. It's going to fucking suck, mm-hmm. right? Like they're going to they're going to feel that that uh, what we talked about before, where they pull off the barbell on that Saturday, where they're supposed to get really intense, and they're going to be like. I can't do this, right? Like this program says I have to do 92.67% of my one rep max and I can't even stand up, but I got to follow the program. So what happens? They squat down, they hurt their knee, they fail, whatever happens, right? Um, And it's not because the program was bad. It's just that the program was bad for them, right? They weren't prepared to do that. They have no experience doing that. Maybe there should be a ramp up phase to getting into a, a design like that. So yeah, you have to look at the program. Um, what we have, it's like honor the individual, right? Assess them. Are they capable of, of doing this? And that's not like testing their one rep max. Assess through a consultation, have a conversation with them and just ask them what kind of sp- squat programs they've done in the past. Because I don't, I can't think of any individual design coach, let's call it OPEX coach, that would sit down in front of someone that was brand new to, to training and say, well, got this cool Smoloff thing. You said you wanted to get strong and just give it to them. It's like, we'd laugh at that, right? But that's that's happening out there. For sure. Well, I think uh, with the doing the wrong program piece as well, uh, coming back to recovery, recovery practices have to sit inside the program. And that's where strength programs fall short so often, especially, you know, you take that template from online, uh, you take that Smoloff progr- program and you start following it. There's no recovery built in there's no conversation around Mm -hmm. nutrition and how to fuel to recover from that work or going into the gym there's no conversation around like getting eight to nine hours of sleep because of the huge cns demand that's going on Mm -hmm. so making sure that inside of that program you have those recovery pieces built in because if they're not then that's probably the problem yeah and recognize when you give a bad program like i still coach a few people and i still give a couple bad programs here and there but I, I think I recognize them soon enough where it's not like detrimental um, and I pivot that thing up a little bit, right? Um, I can think of a couple off the top of my head where it's like starting new training cycles and it's like, whoop, I actually misjudged that a little bit, but I'm like super open and I'm like, hey, let's, you know, I was wrong here. Let's let's back off. We're going to do this thing instead. Um, I just think of someone, I, Sean McCullough, I gave him something like, uh, it was like two or three years ago. I gave, because we were like, accumulation hypertrophy um and i gave him gosh i think i gave him like uh i think we're like uh i think it was like giant sets or something Mm -hmm. like that and he's like dude like i was only able to get through two sets of this and i'm like i'm like i'm sorry let me let me back up we'll we'll kind of back this thing up We'll, we'll go try sets next week um but yeah like that happens all the time in our model like we give the wrong designs sometimes Mm -hmm. But the beauty is that we have the opportunity to pivot and change that thing up. We just have to be able to recognize if some if it's the wrong design. And going back to what we talked about before, it's like, how do you recognize that? Someone's not able to do it. They're not able to recover from it. Or you're not seeing results, whatever results mean for that program. So when you set a program out, have some uh, check-ins, right? It's like, what's the point of this program? What is this program supposed to do? Um, if you're in you know, six weeks of that program and you check in on week three and you're like, actually, this person's getting weaker. It's like, why are they getting weaker? Is it the program? Is it something that they're doing in lifestyle? Is it a combination of the two? Maybe you have to, you know, bring back some of the program because there's some uncontrollables of lifestyle that they just can't handle, right? So, yeah, I mean, it's, I know we're, I just threw a bunch of like variables, but that's what, that's what uh, coaching is, right? It's like, it's, that's the art of coaching. Definitely. Well, I want to visit the examples you gave uh, just before of that person who's been doing the like, uh, you know, max effort day, 
high volume day, max effort day, high volume day, they love a small off program. It's actually less than they were doing before compared to the person that is coming from our idea of like smart program design into small love and the two different experiences they would have there. Now for a coach that is starting like brand new with a client, that is almost like a little like cautionary tale as to why you don't want to give someone too much volume and intensity too early on because if you don't keep adding, they're going to start getting weaker yeah. um, or start like, you know, seeing seeing detrimental results or, you know, they're just going to age faster and experience more wear and tear on their joints. Yeah. So for that first person, you like kind of bucket it out. We want to stay away from that mm-hmm. where they go into the small love program and absolutely like love it and just like want more, more, more to a point. Like there's yeah, a time yeah. in someone's life where that can happen, but we don't want it to happen too soon. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else I was going to say on no, top the, of that. No, no, but no, no. The, just... thing, the thing that, I, if I could add something to yeah. that, the thing that came to mind, gosh, what year was this? Or this was, forgive me if I'm out of the loop. This might still be a, a big thing, but 2015, 2016, um, that, that whole like squat every day thing mm-hmm. where it's like, all I do is squat every day, you know, 365 days straight, 600 days straight, been squatting for 800. It's like, where are those people now? Right. Um, if you do something too much, what happens when you take that thing away, right? And that's why we have to be very patient and we have to really think about where is this thing going long-term? Because if the goal, if the only goal in fitness was to get as good as we can as fast as possible, we would talk about program design completely different, completely different, right? Like you look at a program design that just looks fucking stupid. You're like, why would you do that? That is going to destroy you. And you look at a quote unquote smart program design, you put those things next to each other and you give them to the same, let's say there's two humans that were exactly the same physiologically, right? Like adaptation wise, everything, training age, everything. We give those two programs and we're like, we want you to get as good as possible in 90 days. Who's going to get better faster? The crazy program. For sure. Mm -hmm. Right. You look at nine months later, 18 months later, 24 months later, it's like, the person with the, the goal is the person with the smarter program, quote unquote, depending on what their training age is and their experiences. Let's say they're, they're an intermediate, right? 24 months later, we want that person to still be getting better. But the person that just went balls to the wall for three months and they're like, I'm doing this program design that's just throwing everything at me. That person is going to get relatively, they're going to get really good, really fast. And then they're not like, what do you do? What do you do now? Right. To your point, do you just keep giving them that? Because for them to continue to adapt, you have to keep giving them that. If you take some of that away, what's going to happen? They're going to get worse. Yep. And I remember when I used to, back in my day, when I used to coach a a bunch of athletes, I would see that all the time. And I didn't recognize it. I was like, why are these people getting worse? I'm giving them such pristine program designs. These things are perfect, right? Like, and my young dumb head. And what I realized very quickly was they're coming from something that was so different and so much more high volume than what I was giving them that I was actually making them worse. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like, I don't want to compare this to like heroin addiction, right? But it's like, how do you get someone off of a really strong drug? You give them a little, a little bit less of that drug, yeah. right? Like you have to wean them off of that thing. 
it's the same thing with like the Smoloff person that's been doing that for 24 months. It's like you have to wean them off of that or else they're going to get really weak and they're not going to be happy. They're like, why am I paying you? I'm getting worse. It's like, yeah, you're getting worse because we're actually rehabbing you. And remember James used to always talk about, he kind of does a little bit still. He used to always talk about like rehabbing CrossFitters. Yeah. <laughs> that's what he meant, mm-hmm. right? That's what mm-hmm. he meant. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, they've been doing a bunch of shit for, you know, a long time. And then they finally came to James and they're like, this shit ain't working anymore. And James is like, well, you fucked yourself up pretty good, right? Now we have to rehab you, right? Now that's a long process. And then it's like, okay, now we're at baseline. Now let's start to add some things on and, and make you better. I uh, I think, you know how reverse dieting is a, is a whole big thing in the interwebs right now? It's very popular. Is it? The concept of reverse dieting is a pretty hot one. I think we could come up with some kind I feel of... feel so uh, out of the loop. It's, yeah, you deleted Instagram off your phone. I know. You, you're just not going to know. know anything anymore. I know. I'm going to get my... I get my news from you, though, Georgia. That, here we go. I don't did... know if I'm a reliable news <laughs> source for pop culture, but uh, in the fitness, like, pop culture yeah, world, yeah. reverse dieting is being talked about a lot at who's the, the moment. Who's the leader? I don't know. That. I honestly don't know. So I just I hear Lane, it a lot. I remember Lane used to crush that. I haven't... I, I don't know if he talks about that a bunch anymore, it's but... probably a trickle-down effect other people just like jumping on yeah, uh, yeah. and it's it's kind of the like rehabbing crossfit thing it's like <laughs> rehabbing people who've been you know sucked into diet culture yeah. for too long but i think there's something in reverse program design coming oh, off the yes. back of like uh yeah. like way too much volume and intensity we could we could market that and sell it as yeah, know, a right? online template yeah we could no be the, we wouldn't do that <laughs> we'd be the rehab company it's a fuck we don't want to be that <laughs> we don't want to <laughs> no but I, I bet if we look in a bunch of our old program designs and if even if we take uh people that are working a lot with athletes right, right now like sam smith and henry and mcelroy and those guys we could probably look into what they're doing with uh you know the rehabilitation of the athletes that come to them there's some interesting stuff in that. Definitely. I could think of like 15 people off the top of my head that I'm like, oh, I remember writing those programs yeah. and, and how brutal that was. And consultation was so important with those people. I so, was going to say. So, so important. Um, no, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say her name. Um, one, com- one, one, uh, one person comes to mind and it's like, we still joke about that today. Like, remember like six years ago when uh, we first got going and how fucking brutal that was? Because it was just like we were like not on the same mm-hmm. same wavelength. And it was like to drive that point home of like what I thought we needed to do was so difficult with her, uh, with them. Um, giving it away. But anyway, yeah, there's something there. The, the re- so. rehabilitation fitness we don't want to work with not that we don't want to work with those people but we want coaches to be very proactive in that right definitely um start from the beginning we need to spread that word of uh you know what the hell is your ideal version of fitness today absolutely what does that mean for you in 50 years absolutely well i think uh when it comes to like strength plateaus and the reasons that they occur often it is some blend of uh all four of these reasons Mm -hmm. like they typically don't occur in isolation so it's always worth considering all of the main points that we've run through today. We had the webinar on the topic as well. So for those that are interested in like a little bit of a different view into what we discussed, we will link that uh, in the description so you guys can go and watch that webinar replay. And uh, see you next week. All right. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Thanks, guys.